From Spirit Square's McLowan Theater, this is Charlotte Talks, a public conversation on how HB2 has changed North Carolina. I'm Mike Collins. The city of Charlotte passes an ordinance allowing transgendered individuals to use the restrooms of the gender with which they identify. The General Assembly responds by passing HB2, striking down that ordinance and removing protections against discrimination for LGBTQ individuals. The governor signs the bill into law. Within hours, major businesses respond. Some pull plans to relocate to North Carolina. Others roundly condemn the legislation and call for its repeal. Performers cancel concerts, and now the NBA has pulled the All-Star game from Charlotte. Suddenly, North Carolina is the focus of the media's attention. North Carolina is roiled by backlash, boycott threats, and bigotry allegations over its new law called HB2. The most talked about provision requires people to use public bathrooms that correspond with the gender on their birth certificate. Supporters of the law say it prevents men who may be sexual offenders from pretending to be a woman and entering a woman's restroom or changing room. Since it passed in March, complaints have poured in from around the country. American Airlines and PayPal are among corporations critical of a new law that they say will lead to discrimination against gays, lesbians, and transgender people. Bank of America, headquartered in Charlotte, tweeted, repeal HB2. The list of businesses leaving the state in protest keeps growing, along with the list of entertainers canceling concerts. Some small businesses, like this Raleigh gift shop, say it's hurting them too. Tourists are not coming into the store because tourists are not coming to Raleigh because tourists are not coming to North Carolina. The governors of three states have told non-essential state employees not to travel to North Carolina on official business. A travel advisory. Damn. <laughs> North Carolina, you realize they're treating you like you've got Ebola. And to all those lawmakers out there who are so obsessed with who's using what bathroom and what plumbing they got downtown, newsflash, you're the weirdos. <laughs> Governor Pat McCrory had this reaction to all this media attention. We have not taken away any rights that currently existed in any city in North Carolina. And it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's a very well-coordinated campaign, national campaign, which is distorting the truth which is, uh, frankly, um, smearing our state. It's an election year, so the 24-hour news cycle has moved on to conventions and candidates, and life has gone on in Charlotte and around the state. But what has been the impact of this law on the city and the state economically and in terms of our image? And will that impact be lasting or soon forgotten? We talk about that this hour. Ned Curran is chair of the Charlotte Chamber of Commerce. He is here on our McGlowan stage along with Craig Horn, a Republican legislator serving his third term representing District 68 in Western Union County. He voted for HB2 because of privacy concerns. And Trey Green is co-founder and executive director of Transcend Charlotte, a nonprofit with a mission to promote social justice for transgender individuals as well as education about the transgender community to the community at large. Trey Green is also a social worker and a transgender man. And WFAE's Michael Tomzik is also with us to help facilitate this conversation and keep us factually accurate. He'll be sharing the thoughts and questions of people in the audience here at Spirit Square as they come in on Twitter. You can reach us on Twitter at Charlotte Talks. Use the hashtag WFAEPubCon. Let me begin with you, Michael. Let's start here. Uh, this, this, we're going to talk about the impact, but let's talk about how we got here and why we're having this conversation the focus has been on bathrooms in the media, but this law is so much more uh, than that. 
outline the bill for us. Sure. So it, it passed in a legislative session that lawmakers called in response to Charlotte expanding its non-discrimination ordinance, as you mentioned, Mike. Um, the session lasted that one day, March 23rd. Uh, HB2 passed with almost unanimous uh, Republican support. There were also about 10 Democrats in the House who voted for it. And, and essentially, it does a couple of things. It requires transgender people to use the bathroom corresponding to their birth certificate in schools and government buildings. It excludes LGBT people from the state's list of protected classes. It prevents cities like Charlotte from um, applying LGBT protections to businesses they contract with for the most part. Uh, It also prevents cities from raising the minimum wage uh, that businesses have to pay. Um, It also eliminated the right to sue over discrimination in state court. Um, Governor McCrory asked lawmakers to reinstate that right, and they did towards the end of their legislative session this summer. Uh, And then just briefly, it's worth pointing out a couple things that HB2 did not do as well. So uh, it does not prevent businesses from having their own LGBT protections, and it does not prevent cities like Charlotte from having those same kinds of protections for their own employees. Uh, the, the key there is they can't um, require those protections with businesses they contract with. So bathrooms has been the shorthand. And Ned Curran, as you talk to people around the country who are maybe thinking about bringing business or conventions to Charlotte, and I know you traveled around the state and you talk to people from other parts of the state, are any other parts of this bill part of the discussion? Or is it just the bathrooms? It's hard to get past the bathrooms. Uh, when I encounter folks, whether it's in another state of the country, the first thing they say is, you're, you're the bathroom state. Um, or worse, you're the hate state. Um, and in other parts of the state, and Craig, I'm sure you see this with the legislature, I mean, it's hard to talk about any other aspect of the bill but bathrooms. So it's, it's hard to talk about the discriminatory elements of the bill or what it was intended to achieve. I'm talking about the Charlotte Are they even aware of the other parts of the bill? It depends on the length of the conversation. If you're able to talk for more than two or three minutes, you're able to talk about some of the challenges that we face in a city like Charlotte or Raleigh or Asheville or Wilmington and how it's kind of essential to our economy that some of our major employers want these types of protections and our city in general wants these types of protections. A number of people, um, the governor included among them, uh, have said to me, you know, before Charlotte did this, we never gave a moment's thought to how transgendered people use the restrooms in public places. We never thought about it. This is an issue that came up because Charlotte made it an issue. So, Trey, you're a transgendered person. You, like all of us in this room, have to use the bathroom. Was it a problem before HB2? It wasn't a problem. Um, Trans people have been using the restrooms before this law ever came into place. The problem has been with discrimination towards them. Um, In the area that people that, I think the the law allows for people to go based on their birth certificate, but what we don't see is that people don't often are able to change their birth certificates or don't have surgery or don't pass. Like for me, when I was in the middle of my transition, there were points when it depended on who was looking at me, which gender they thought I was. And there's people who aren't even trans that that's true for. And those people are being now targeted in the bathrooms because they don't look, they look different than other people because of their feminine and masculine characteristics. And trans people are really afraid now because it's, it's brought this issue into light and it's made... It's made trans people targeted more than they were before, which the discrimination was already 
high to begin with. Do you know of instances where people have gotten themselves into trouble because of this? Yes, there's been, we've served 200 trans people in the last year, and I've heard so many stories of people going into the bathroom. One lady had gone into a fast food restaurant and gone into the women's bathroom and thinking that you walked up to the door, it's like, okay, because this is a trans woman, and she's thinking, is it safer for me to go in here with the guys, or as, as the law wants me to do, or is it safer for me to go in here with the women? She ultimately decided to walk in with the women and use the restroom. She was assaulted by women in the restroom, did not call the police because she knows that because of HB2, they're going to back other people up and not her because technically she's not supposed to be in there. Yeah. So the law, Michael, if I understand it correctly, is that Trey, who is a transgender man, should be, according to HB2, using the women's room. Is that correct? Uh, if, Trey, not to get too personal here, but it, it depends on... Um, Where they are in the transition, yeah. whether they've had the, sur- the, sur- the uh, reassignment surgery. Right. Is and, that correct? Exactly. And it, the thing to just keep in mind, too, is we're talking about government buildings, so that can vary from local school boards. That can vary from uh, schools, obviously, as we've talked about a lot. Um, the government center, if you go to a hearing for city council or for county commission. Okay. So, uh, uh, Representative Horn, you voted for HB2, and you voted for HB2 because of privacy concerns. Were you concerned about privacy in restrooms exclusively or privacy in restrooms and locker rooms or locker rooms over restrooms? What were your concerns, I guess? is the My concerns were privacy for everyone, uh, particularly, of course, changing rooms and, and showers. Uh, but I believe that everyone, absolutely everyone, has a right to privacy. I think that's a fundamental right. And uh, I voted for it because I felt that uh, the intent, in my view, the intent of the bill was to protect people's privacy. Uh, in listening to, to Trey, I'm, uh, no, one, uh, no one is more outraged than I over discrimination of any kind. Uh, and I, I, I'm as serious as I could be about that. Uh, for us to treat people poorly because of they're not like us, is unconscionable as far as I'm concerned and an unsupport. But for me, that was not the issue. The issue was protecting everyone's privacy. And I want to point out to folks, because there's a little Twitter in the audience mm-hmm. uh, as you talked about that, uh, that before we started and in conversations that you've had with our producers before this show was co- had coalesced, you think it's very important to have this discussion, oh, have discussions like these on a, a lot of different issues. I think it's critically important, and I, and I want to take just a second to, to thank WFAE for putting this, and I hope further programs on exactly like this. I am really bothered by the lack of civil discourse and the lack of public engagement in issues that matter to each and every one of us. We see, have unfortunately uh, fallen into a period when we'd rather throw rocks, yell out, demonstrate, then have a conversation. Mm-hmm. We've got to stop the confrontation and get with the conversation and learn from each other. Are you a lone wolf in the legislature, or are there a, a, a critical mass of others who feel the same way? I believe there are. Certainly the legislature, like any group, we have a wide variety of people. Quite frankly, we don't, whether it's North Carolina or anywhere else, we don't exactly get our best and brightest in the legislature. 
And, and, and whose fault is that? And, <laughs> and, and look, and I'll go, to the, I'll go to the front of that line. Uh, but then again, really tell me who in here would leave their family for three, four, five days, and for thirteen grand a year, and then get all the grief you're going to get. So, and we're going to talk a lot about this issue and yeah. the impact of this issue. I don't want to get bogged in it. And, I, and I understand. I don't want to get. A but when you look at Trey, you tell me which bathroom he should use. He can use. He uses the bathroom that he feels is right for him. He's a man, as far as I'm concerned. He goes but, to the men's room. But is he breaking the law? Not in my view. But, but you voted for the law. That's part of You're exactly right. There is a, there's a, certainly a breakdown. There's, there is often a breakdown between what you, uh, uh, what you, uh, between legislative intent and how the law ends up being written. Uh, there is nothing that shouldn't be cons- constantly reviewed and improved where were possible. But uh, the intent of the law, in my view, as a, as a legislator, and uh, I'm not an attorney, so I'm, I'm not going to get into all the legal aspects. I, I, I readily admit that I struggle to read and understand many of the bills we pass. Mm-hmm. But uh, the intent is what's critical to me, and the intent of the law was to protect the privacy of every individual. We're going to get into uh, unintended consequences and what might happen next as a result of the NBA and other uh, pressures that have been placed on the state of North Carolina and the image that we're projecting to the rest of the country as we go through the rest of this. It's Charlotte Talks, a special edition from Spirit Square on WFA. Thanks for tuning into this special edition of Charlotte Talks, a public conversation on 90.7 WFAE, recorded last night at the McGloin Theater in Spirit Square. Support for Charlotte Talks comes from WFAE members and Tyndall Subaru Gastonia. Test drives are available for the new 2016 Crosstrek SUV with eyesight safety technology that sees problems and initiates action to help avoid trouble. Details at TyndallSubaru.com. And the Corkscrew Wine Shop and Bar, new location opening soon at The View in downtown Charlotte near BB&T Ballpark. Full portfolio of wine and beer from all over the world, plus live music. Details at thescrewcrew.com. On Charlotte Talks tomorrow, we recap this week's Democratic National Convention and compare it to last week's GOP gathering. What did Democrats demonstrate in Philadelphia? And what did voters take away from both events? That and more when Charlotte Talks tomorrow at 9 on 90.7 WFAE. On the next Diane Reem Show, day two of the Democratic National Convention, Bill Clinton takes the stage as party leaders scramble to gain the support of Bernie Sanders fans and present a united front against Republican nominee Donald Trump. Join the Diane Reem Show this morning from 10 to noon after Charlotte Talks on listener-funded 90.7 WFAE, Charlotte's NPR News Source.
It's Charlotte Talks on listener-funded 90.7 WFAE and 90.3 WFHE. I'm Mike Collins. It's a public conversation from McGloughan Theater on HB2. You can reach us on Twitter at Charlotte Talks. Use the hashtag WFAEPubCon. Ned Curran is with us. He's the chair of the Charlotte Chamber of Commerce. Representative Craig Horn is a Republican from District 68 who voted for HB2. Trey Green is a co-founder and executive director of Transcend Charlotte, the transgender support organization, and Michael Tomsick is with us from WFAE News. What has been your uh, impression of the media coverage and the story that has been told around the country by the media and by comedians, uh, Representative Horn, uh, about what has happened here in North Carolina? My impression of media coverage? Mm -hmm. One-sided. What's the other side? We're hearing... Um, at least it seems to me, I hear a lot about, uh, as you said in the, uh, in the roll-up to uh, this program, about all the people, the, the businesses are leaving. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with, the, I've not seen a list of businesses are leaving. I certainly am aware that there are businesses that have changed their mind about coming. I'm aware that we have had businesses leave. But I'm also aware that there's an awful lot of good economic news that goes on in this state and continues to go on in this state. I'm aware that our, our employment rate is back to pre-recession days. I'm aware that, we, that uh, tax policies have uh, resulted in lower, few, less money being taken out of everyone's pocket where, and that we still end up with a surplus in our budget. Uh, I'm aware that we are raising teacher salaries uh, to all-time levels. I'm, I'm aware of lots of good news, but I am, I don't know whether what the right term is, uh, overwhelmed with there is no good news in Charlotte. Um, Ned Curran, you're the guy with the chamber. Uh, uh, how many businesses have left? How many businesses have decided not to come? Uh, obviously, the NBA is the big uh, elephant in the room here. But aside from them, is a lot of this just political positioning on the part of big companies? Oh, this is horrible. It's a disgrace. It should be repealed. And yet, they stay and they do business? No, there's clearly brand damage. There's clearly been some economic losses. On job creation front, we're on par with where we were a year ago. If we break it down by quarter, we had a very robust first quarter. Second quarter, it's dropped off. So first quarter, way over last year. Second quarter, less than, than uh, 2015. You put the two together, we're slightly up. Prospect activity has dropped off in the second quarter. So the, the balance of the year may be a bit challenging. How much of that can you blame on HB2? It's, it's, it's very hard to say, Mike, because when, when the law first became controversial, you have prospects that are in the pipeline. You can identify them. You can count them. You can talk to them. Um, you never know about the prospect that never called. So right. at some point, it becomes meaningless to continue to count. You can only look at year-over-year activity, compare it to, to national trends. But clearly, there's, there's been some brand damage. Clearly, the, the engagement with companies that are looking to grow here or to locate here includes conversations about your, your openness and, and inclusiveness. And, and I think the question about media coverage, one of the, one of the challenging aspects that I see in this uh, and in talking with some of the outside groups, is about Charlotte and North Carolina. Is, is there some distinction? I mean, here is a city that, that has been welcoming, has been inclusive, stuck its neck out on this issue. Yeah. 
and doesn't seem to get any favor uh, at a national level. Well, let me ask you about that. The NBA pulled the All-Star game. It's a $100 million loss, by most estimates, of what we're going to lose. And we're probably, I'm told, not going to get the 2019 game because unless the legislature changes something and backs down in some way, it'll still be in the courts by the time they have to make that decision. That's another $100 million that we're losing. Would it, what, what message them. would it have sent okay. if they had said, we don't like this, we think it's discriminatory, but Charlotte tried to do the right thing, so we'll leave the game there. What would that have sent to the rest of the country? Well, I, I think that was part of their deliberation, and I think in, in some of the engagement with the NBA that, that I was somewhat associated with, I think that was very much on their mind. What but, message, Trey, would that have sent to the transgendered community and to the LGBTQ community? I think there's been some conversation about um, which pulling out or like people coming here and, and a lot of people have chosen to come here and donate funds to transgender serving organizations. But I think a lot of the, I think it would have said a positive thing for them to come to Charlotte, but at the same time, I don't know if it's as strong a message as pulling out completely because money is really the only thing that a lot of times will get things going and, and let people know that this is not okay. You know, we've been talking and we'll continue to talk a lot about money and about image, both of the state and the city because of HB2, but one group of people is remarkably affected by this. So let's talk about how this has impacted the LBGTQ community, particularly the transgender community. How big a burden would you say it is on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the worst? I'd say at least a 9 or a 10. Really? Um, these are people that are already, you're talking about a, a population that has a 41% attempt rate at suicide. And these, these are people that are isolated. I work with these people. I work with these people every day. We've worked with 200, as I said, over the last year. And these are people with families. These are people, these are police officers. These are nurses. These are teachers. These are people that have children. And people are being pulled out of the bathroom with their children and being questioned about their gender, which I don't know what that's saying to the children. And then also having... Children themselves who are transgender, I, I had a parent contact me was talking about that they're leaving the state because they feel like it's not safe here right. for their seven-year-old child who's gender nonconforming. Uh, it should be pointed out that you're also a therapist. And you, I am. And you deal with this uh, and other kinds of counseling on a regular basis. And I want to credit Stacy on Twitter for that last question. I, I, that was not my question. That was Stacy's question. And this is Adrian's question on Twitter. State Budget Director Andrew Heath today said HB2 is more of a political issue than an economic one. Anybody on the panel agree with that? What was your question on it? Does anyone disagree with that? Or well, agree? Do you agree with the fact that it's more of a political issue than an economic issue? In other words, when the state legislature convened their one-day session and passed this bill, when the governor signed it before the ink was dry, was that politics or was that something else? I think that almost everything has, pol has political ramifications to it, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Pretty much everything we do in Raleigh or in Washington, D.C. But there seems to be an urgency to, to this. I, I'm not going to be ignorant of the fact that there aren't political ramifications. Okay. Certainly there are. Do I believe that HB2 is purely political? No, I don't. I know some people that are very passionate about privacy and, we're very, and are, continue to be very passionate about protecting the privacy of every individual. Uh, by the same token, 
I, uh, although I have not heard of any instances of people being pulled out of bathrooms, I'm not suggesting that it's not true. I'm just saying I've not been made aware of it by anyone, and that's atrocious. That's atro simply atrocious. There's no, there's no excuse for bad manners, and, and that's inappropriate behavior. Now, the problem with, with laws and rules of all kinds is they are interpreted and applied sadly, differently by different people under different circumstances at different times. We are people and we screw things up. The idea is not to do that, I would hope, certainly my idea. Uh, so how, how do we get that balance? And, and I don't, there's no magic answer for that. Well, Representative Horn, one thought would be, has this led to more conversations uh, between lawmakers and the transgender community? Well, as far as I'm concerned, not sufficient conversation, and there, there isn't sufficient conversation. Uh, lawmakers, uh, again, I'm not trying to deprecate lawmakers, but we have a habit of hiding out. We get to Raleigh, we're so inundated with thousands of bills, issues, phone calls, emails. I get an average of 700 emails a day. I can't, I can't keep it all even in perspective. Trade. So we hide out. Trade, we you need like you to, have a channel we, to get to. Well, I'm, that's why I'm looking to you all, WFAE and other such organizations, our schools, colleges, universities across the state, to help us engage everyone to a much greater extent and let us identify challenges, and let us come together to figure out sensible solutions. This puts you, Trey, in a very difficult situation because you're one person on a stage representing an entire community. But do you know of any instances, maybe your organization, were they approached by anybody in the legislature prior to or after the passage of HB2? Were you approached prior to or after the decision on the part of the NBA about what they should do. Has anybody talked to anybody in that community about this? No, not, not anybody that was on the side of supporting HB2. People have reached out that were against it and in support. There is this safety issue, and I don't want to minimize people's concerns about safety, particularly parents for their children. You cannot minimize that. But what would you say to those people about the safety aspect of this? The... I think it's really under it's underestimated how how big it is. Um, I think there was a recent survey that said 50% of trans people have been harassed in a public facility in North Carolina. And is that a result of HB2? Or did you tell me earlier that there that trans people have been harassed for quite some time? But I think That's it's that ongoing social problem we've got to come to grips with as a community and as a nation. And it is, but I think HB2 sets a precedent for it because you're saying that the police can enforce that people cannot use the bathrooms unless their certificate says <laughs> what gender that they are. And that's, and that's, and you talk about privacy concerns when you're having a transgender person being questioned in the bathroom by what genitalia they have. And you ask about me, I haven't had bottom surgery. And by North Carolina law, I'm not supposed to be able to change my birth certificate because of that. So legally, I should be in the women's bathroom. And everybody in here knows what's going to happen if I walk in the women's bathroom. Michael. Ned. You know, I engage with so many folks in the, in the legislature and otherwise, um, HRC, Quality NC, for months, the chamber tried to play a role of being a, a, a middleman, if you will. 
And it was very difficult early on because, as you talked about, the nationalization of this issue and the politicization of this issue, this is a swing state. There's lots of politics at play here. But very early on, it was repeal or nothing. And so it was very hard to get groups that would represent the LGBTQ community to talk about something short of that, an interim step from here to there. And then in interacting with members of the legislature to try and fashion compromises on different terms, I have to have to say I have some empathy because all of us can have different opinions about what should the bathroom access law be. But be the person who has to write the law because your, your words become critical, and it's very difficult. And so sitting down with the, the, the people that actually authored the whole birth certificate element and what refinements could they make to the birth certificate, or, they're trying to define sex. And so when we think about the protected class coming in in 1964, those folks at that time didn't think there was going to have to be this clarification of what sex meant. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to 2016, we're in an era where we do need to understand that, but there's subjective elements to it. That's why half the states in the country have now sued the government for clarification. North Carolina happens to be the poster child for the issue, but this is not an issue that is solely related to North Carolina. That's not meant to push it off. It's simply meant to say this is a challenging issue. And to chime in on that point, Mike, so I think that's another part of the reason, Ned, that um, the bathroom portion has gotten so much national attention is that's the, the piece, essentially, that all of the state, you know, nearly half of states in the country now are suing the U.S. Justice Department over. I think that is also partly responsible for why so many states think of this purely in the bathroom terms, um, whereas, you know, the, the Justice Department, in, in this state at least, is challenging more than just the bathroom piece. They're also challenging, uh, or, or they're challenging it in more than just an education setting. Those lawsuits are focused on education. Uh, they're also challenging it as far as employment goes. A few minutes ago, Ned, you said that we had damaged our brand. And elsewhere in some reading that I've done about you, you've said that before, and that it's very difficult to repair a, a damaged brand. How have we damaged our brand well, we is in a collective sense, but it's also how others have characterized us. I don't think of Charlotte as a non-progressive, non-open and inclusive place. I think we're a remarkable city. I think it's a reasonably welcoming environment. We can always be better, but I think on a national basis we compare very favorably well. Uh, and yet that's not, not the way we are viewed in the media. In fact, Charlotte, more so even than North Carolina in some ways now, is characterized as the crosshairs, in part because of decisions, high-profile decisions like the NBA. Um, NBA The uh, NBA tried to signal some confidence in Charlotte by saying you are now picked for 2019 subject to some reforming of the law occurring, whether it's at the federal level or at the right. state level. But it was an acknowledgment that Charlotte... And that, and that wasn't well received by the governor. He was on this program last Friday, and uh, here he painted their decision this way. I'm disappointed. I strongly disagree with their decision. And to put it bluntly, I think it's uh, total PCBS. Now, that illustrates the divide rather well on this issue, it seems to me. Would most Americans... Would most North Carolinians agree with him? And what message does that statement send to the rest of the country about Charlotte and about North Carolina? You know, I'm, I'm mindful of a presentation that I sat through recently that was talking about transportation funding across the state. And they said, we have 10 million people in the state of North Carolina now. A million people live in Charlotte, a million people live in Raleigh, and 8 million people don't. So we need to be mindful of our perceptions, where we are, and that 80% of the population don't live in a major urban area like Charlotte. 
And to that point, I mean, just last night, Governor McCrory was in Winston-Salem uh, campaigning with Trump, uh, opened with a joke about the bathroom thing, and the crowd there completely ate it up. So there's, uh, there are certainly folks who, who would agree with McCrory on that. Is it PCBS? Is that what this is, this NBA decision to pull out of Charlotte? I can, uh, to a certain extent, yeah, I agree with that. But it, but it needs to be explained what, why we would say that. Uh, or why one might say that. Um, To my knowledge, the NBA uh, is going to be holding exhibition games in China. Please tell me what the policy of the Chinese government is toward LBGT transgenders. Tell me what their policy is, because what what I know of their policy is it's pretty harsh. So... I, I, I did a quick check around the nation, and um, what are the laws in all the states that have NBA teams? The laws are uh, actually rather similar to the law that was in Charlotte, as I understand it, and that's where fact check will help me know. Uh, as I understand it, the laws are fairly similar to what the laws were here in Charlotte before Charlotte passed that ordinance rescinding what some people thought were protections for uh, a number of, of groups, uh, LBGBT and others uh, in, in the state. So uh, this concept of, uh, I, don't, I would not have used that term, but I understand it. That is Representative uh, Craig Horn, a Republican from District uh, 68 from Union County. Uh, he voted for uh, HB2. We're also here with Ned Curran from the Charlotte Chamber, Trey Green, co-founder of Transcend Charlotte, and Michael Topsick from WFAE News. We're coming right back at Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Thanks for keeping it tuned to this special edition of Charlotte Talks, a public conversation on 90.7 WFAE, recorded last night at the McGloin Theater in Spirit Square. Support for Charlotte Talks comes from WFAE members and Leland Little Auctions, providing collectors and families with comprehensive auction services, specializing in fine art, jewelry, and fine wine. Details, LelandLittle.com. And Carolina's Healthcare Systems HealthWorks, working with employers to improve the bottom line through innovative employee health solutions. Carolinashealthcare.org slash healthworks. Coming up next at 10 o'clock on the Diane Reem Show, it's an update on what happened in day two of the Democratic National Convention. Bill Clinton takes the stage and ongoing efforts by party leaders to build unity. That's at 10 o'clock in about 20 minutes on the Diane Reem Show on 90.7 WFAE. We'll have more of our special Charlotte Talks public conversation in just a moment. With Democrats making it official in Philadelphia, a moment for the ways it's different being a female candidate. One of the challenges that they have in front of them is to not present themselves as too intimate, being too personal, uh, weak, feminine. And so they've had to assert themselves with credentials and experience. I'm Kai Rizdal. Gender roles and the job of modern politics next time on Marketplace. Marketplace this evening at 630 on 90.7 WFAE. 
It's the Charlotte Talks public conversation on HP2 from Spirit Square's McGlowan Theater. You can reach us on Twitter at Charlotte Talks. Use the hashtag WFAEPubCon. Just a moment ago, Representative Horn mentioned other states that have similar laws to North Carolina's law as a result of HB2. Michael Tomsick, you've done some looking into this. Talk about those other states. So, Representative Horn, you're, you're certainly right that there are a lot of places that have laws that are similar to what North Carolina's lookup is now. Um, a, a lot of the major urban centers in the country have more progressive laws. Charlotte was looking to join that list by making this change. And it's the argument the NBA has made, the argument that some businesses have made who do business elsewhere has said, look, these other states where laws a certain way, it's been that way. They haven't made a change to anything over you know, the decades, gender or sex discrimination uh, is is still sort of being interpreted at the federal level, and and that's its own piece. What's gotten people uh, so worked up here is that Charlotte did something to try to join those cities that had more expansive definitions of non-discrimination, and lawmakers quickly stopped them from doing that, and in doing so, basically enshrined a protected class that that excluded LGBT people. So you're, you're both... Totally right that there are lots of places, including other NBA cities, that, that have similar laws. But I think what's gotten uh, people so worked up over this is, is the course of events. And I, I don't offer as an excuse that just because someone else does it, we should do it, or because someone else doesn't do it, we shouldn't do it. I don't offer that as an excuse. But, but you know, at, at, the, at the chamber, we, we lobbied to allow cities to be able to pass such ordinances to recognize distinctions in the competitive nature of different industries across the state. I mean, if we look at the state of North Carolina, you've got a major military influence in portions of the state, coastal, fisheries, tourism, mountains, uh, tourism, and and, uh, casinos and the like. We have distinctions across this state, and we have to allow certain places to have some of those distinctions. Now, that conflicts with our Constitution, the Dillon Rule, and the notion that all things emanate from Raleigh. But at the same time, this is clear evidence that you've got to allow different places to have some ability to pass ordinances. And, and if you recall, the legislature said that if Charlotte didn't include the bathroom provision, they would have let the rest of the ordinance stand. And that's simply where we were asking to get back to. And yet that, that has now been taken. And I guess another question would be, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on the thought process of HB2 because that's been done on other programs. I want to talk about the impact of this. But had the legislature just struck down the Charlotte bathroom provisions and not added, taken away uh, protections for uh, LGBT uh, people, wouldn't that have been enough? Wouldn't that have addressed your concerns about privacy? Why take it 10 steps further? I'll be the first to tell you that I believe that we overreached at the, at the state level. I believe as well, I believe as well that the city overreached in, in uh, reaching beyond what is their acknowledged power. But the ACLU has called this the most extreme anti-LGBT measure in the country. What does that do for the image of North Carolina, which heretofore had been considered progressive? It certainly doesn't help us, but am I, am I impressed that the, that, that the ACLU would, call, would use that kind of verbiage? No, I'm, I must tell you, that I'm not particularly impressed, uh, moved or anything else, by uh, the ACLU making a statement like that. Let me uh, share with you some comments and questions that have come in on Twitter. Jay says, have we seen any effect from HB2 on higher education in our state? 
I think that we, I believe we have, I, I, I don't have firsthand evidence, but I am aware anecdotally that there are some grants that have, have not come our way for at, at the university level. Uh, I believe that we're having some challenges in that area, and, I, and I'm very concerned about it. I'm the education guy in the, in the house. Uh, that's a real hot button for me. Okay. And it's certainly, as far as the change goes, it certainly has brought to the forefront this question uh, that some schools have been asking for a while that predates HB2, which is what are the right accommodations for transgender students? Um, CMS, uh, the Federal Education Department, the UNC system, um, officials have been fielding these questions for a while as schools are trying to figure that out. Um, and, and I think that HB2 and, and you know, Ned, as you mentioned earlier, there are now lawsuits among half of the states in the country over the, the rules that the federal government eventually developed on that, which is uh, students should be able to use the, the bathroom or, or locker room that corresponds to their gender well, identity. CMS seems to have figured it out because starting next year, they say their students can use the bathroom or locker room that best matches their gender identity. Uh, CMS Superintendent Ann Clark has said this has had nothing to do with HB2, that this was already in the works. But in light of the law, how can they do this? Part of it is the law does not include an enforcement provision. So you're hearing, so, so the UNC system and some police departments have said if we were to be out enforcing this law, we wouldn't be able to handle any other crime because we'd need to staff all of the bathrooms. But... That's how you have the UNC system say, say that they're complying with HB2, but we're not going to enforce the bathroom provisions. So the, the, the bottom line is this has not created clarity for school systems. Uh, it, it looks like as of now that's going to play out in the federal court system. Uh, a surprise. The, go the government doesn't create clarity. Boy, that's a surprise. Jeremy on Twitter writes, at what point did the economic losses, regardless of the law's intention, cause us to reevaluate the law? Is there a tipping point within the legislature's mind where enough is enough, we've lost too much business, or we, or we lose a chance at the Super Bowl, or whatever it may be? Is there a tipping point? One would, i got to believe there probably is, a tipping point for everyone on every issue. Uh, how that will play out, I don't know. A hundred million dollars sounds to me, because I work in public radio, like a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money to me. And, um, and Ned, I'm just curious what this means to the city of Charlotte. It is hotel rooms, but I understand that the NBA, having pulled out, now has to rebate some money. They have to pay penalties on withdrawing, so that will ameliorate the hundred million dollars a bit. But that means restaurants, waiters... Parking garages. I've been 40 years in the food business. I truly understand the, all that, the lovely term trickle down. I understand that clearly. Uh, that's why, to me, why did we ever get in this fight in the first place when Charlotte could have sat down with the state legislature and we could have worked together to, to work this out, in my opinion? So, I'm amenable to that. I think there are a number of legislators amenable to that. But... Charlotte passed an ordinance and put it into immediate effect when they normally pass an ordinance and put it into effect some 45 to 60 days later so that there's time to consider, discuss, and, and develop implementation tools. Charlotte was, as I'm told, again, I was not party to this. I'm a single legislator. As I'm told, Charlotte was told, if you do this, sir, we're going to go do that. 
Well, Jill on Twitter has a question. I'll come to you, Ned, but Jill on Twitter has a question about that. I, I agree public discourse is important. Why was HB2 passed in one day without time for public debate? I don't have an answer for that, I'm sorry to say. I could tell you that I made my voice very clear that we needed to have public debate. Just really briefly, Republican leaders in the legislature who called the special session said they did it in that one day because Charlotte's ordinance was going to go into effect. And I, I don't have attribution on this Twitter quote because it's, it's no longer on my screen, but at the very start of the show, somebody in the Twitterverse wanted to know, has anybody benefited from the passage of HB2? The newspapers, <laughs> media, so, and, and, uh, and advocacy groups whose uh, fundraising has been significantly enhanced. Ned. So um, I'm the Chamber of Commerce guy, so the sky is always blue and it's not falling. There, there still is a lot of momentum. Charlotte is still going to win a lot of business. We're still going to grow year over year. Um, it, we can't count what we can't count, but clearly there has been some damage done, and some of that is high profile, and there may be more high profile in other uh, sporting or entertainment venues that occur. The, the question, I think, as you get to the, to the waning minutes of the show is, you know, where do we go from here? What lessons are learned? And we're, we're being critical of Charlotte. We're being critical of the legislature. Um, in every conversation I had with anybody, I started it by saying there's enough blame to go around. I wish the business community had engaged with the city council more before they took the vote right. to be more thoughtful. Then you've got the council that acted. Then you've got the legislature that acted. The governor signed the law. Uh, and then we failed to get a decent compromise in, in, the, uh, in the regular short session. So um, do we come back with renewed energy next year? We have to. But more importantly, um, there needs to be a better understanding across this state about, about the differences, the urban areas, the rural areas, the economic areas. Um, and we, we need to these kind of communications and these kind of dialogues because part of why didn't Charlotte come and talk to us goes both ways. But there does need to be more engagement. And we talk about the political. We are a blue city. We are a red state. We've got to find ways to bridge these right. gaps because this has been harmful. Again, Trey, this is, has the biggest impact on the transgender community because most people in this audience and in this community never think about this. They don't even know they've met a transgender person in many cases. Uh, and the governor uh, has said several times that he was concerned, and the people who voted for this bill were concerned about a person with a boy body but who thinks he's a girl wanting to change clothes in the girls' locker room, and the reverse would be, would be also true. That's, that would cause discomfort in, many, in most locker rooms, it would seem to me. But wouldn't it also cause discomfort for the transgendered person? And, and that's what we tell people. Like, 99% um, of trans people, they're, the biggest thing we deal with universally is dysphoria, usually. We're not proud of the body parts that don't match our gender identity. And if you have a trans person, a trans woman going into the women's locker room, for example, she's going to find a stall to change in. She's going to do this kind of thing. And then the, the issue with the women's bathroom, we talk about issues with privacy. People are going into the stall to pee. Nobody should be outside of the stalls changing clothes or doing all these kinds of things. And in the locker room, again, it's not a privacy issue because trans people know that that would be upsetting for some people, and most of them are going to respect and 
So is this locker room thing, the bathroom thing is one thing, but the locker room thing is another. Is this something that transgendered people want, or do they simply want an accommodation so that you, Trey, don't have to change clothes in the women's locker room, or that a transgendered woman would not have to change clothes in the men's locker room? Do they just want a separate area, a separate room that is, in fact, private? I mean, that would be a good ideal, but most people don't have the accommodations to make that. Most places, they have two areas where so you So what change. do we do? From your point of view, what would, should we do? We allow people to self-identify as the gender that they are and use the bathroom that's safest for them. What about locker rooms? Or the locker room that is safest for them. And what about what happens in the course of changing clothes in front of other people in that locker room on both sides of the equation? The trans person, as I said, is probably going to go somewhere to change in private. Okay. They don't want to be in. And also the, the fear about things that are going to happen. And there's no evidence that any of that's going to happen. I work also with sexual assault. And 2% of sexual assaults are committed by strangers. Like those kinds of fears and those kinds of things that are going on are not a reality. And we like to think that it's the stranger in the bathroom. We like to think that the, that's where predators are. But... The fact is that it's usually family and friends. It's people that you know. This lull, this lull nullified local ordinances around the state that would have uh, expanded protections for LGBTQ citizens. It makes it illegal for cities to expand state laws that regulate workplace discrimination. Uh, North Carolina has never explicitly addressed or provide protection for uh, sexual orientation. And Carla on Twitter says, please discuss the non-bathroom aspects, like restricting cities from raising the minimum wage or from adding these LGBTQ protections. Why, why, did, why was that done? Why, why was that seen necessary? Or was this simply a way to get a lot of stuff that people wanted to have done, done quickly? You're asking me to read some other people's minds. I'm not very good about that. Uh, was it nor discussed? do I attempt it. Now, wh- you- so you ask, why did, why did the, uh, the people that drew up the bill want it this way? Uh, I, don't, I can't tell you I know for certain. Uh, I can tell you that in the conversations I've had across Raleigh, uh, in Raleigh and across the state, there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of fear. There are a lot, a lot of things going on. And we need, that's, again, the importance of this type of forum and more of them so that we understand. Uh, so would you, you change your vote? Would you change your vote if you had, had to do it again today, hindsight being twenty twenty? Based on what was put in front of me at the time, I, I, if we re-voted that very bill, uh, would I change my vote? I'm not going to be able to answer that. We have a minute. We have a minute left. Uh, HB2 does not... I've thought about it a lot. I think about every vote. I I go back and think about them all. Uh, HB2 does not preclude private businesses from opening bathrooms or locker rooms to transgendered individuals. So why is that a problem for the NBA? If, If a private restaurant can do it or if the Charlotte Hornets want to do it, have at it. You know, without speaking directly for the NBA, I think that they have uh, appropriately concluded, just like with the Hornets, that the facility itself is not a problem. It's, it's the broader city 
uh, and the environment that the city presents, and that's a week-long series of activities. If the courts decide against the state and HB2 is overturned, will things go back to normal? Will our reputation be repaired? Will this just slip into the mists of history? Um, It will help. I I think an awful lot has to happen in terms of clarification of the facilities themselves. When you talk about showers and locker rooms, does a unisex, I mean, it it, it can't just turn it over. It's got to define it, clarify it. That's Ned Curran, chair of the Charlotte Chamber of Commerce, Representative Craig Horn, Republican, brave man to be here, District 68, East Union County, Trey Green, co-founder of executive director of Transcend Charlotte, and WFAE's Michael Tomzik. Thank you all for the hour.